It is so good to be with you. Uh, good morning, friends. My name is Christian Kuhn, and I'm the pastor here of this community, uh, both in this location. Also, I'm the uh, interim lead pastor of all of our Urban Village locations in the city. I'm also one of the co-founders of Urban Village. Uh, and so it's a delight to be with you here today, and we're grateful that all of our sites are worshiping right now uh, in Hyde Park Woodlawn and Wicker Park and Edgewater neighborhoods. Um, as Doug noted, a couple things I want to just echo. One, I just want to just echo uh, my delight at Rollins' presence in our midst. Rollins used to be one of the worship leaders at our UBC South Loop uh, location. Uh, and um, is a teacher and does really great work with kids around uh, band and show choir and all kinds of amazing things. So we're really grateful to, for Roland for his presence here today. Um, also, uh, as Doug noted, we are really pleased to have uh, Rabbi Max Weiss from Oak Park Temple with us here today. Just give you a little bit of uh, background on uh, Rabbi Weiss. Um, you know, I have a lot in common. We are almost the same, exact same age. He started Oak Park Temple in 2009, which is when we started Urban Village, also in 2009. Uh, he has served in uh, congregations in, uh, is it Wynwood? Is that how you pronounce Wynwood? Pennsylvania, what part of Pennsylvania is that in? Just outside of Philly. Ooh, so we're, are we cheering for the Eagles then in your household or? My time in Philly was kind of mixed. Ah, okay. <laughs> Eagles fans are the worst football fans. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Shelby was nervous that she's the only Kansas City fan today. Is there like at least one other person? She's, she, she's cheering for Kansas City. Isn't that what she said? Yeah. Well, no. I'm just, you, you don't have to be. You can cheer. I'm asking who you're cheering for. Is there like one other Kansas City person cheering Kansas City? Bob is. Chris is. Okay. So we're not alone. All right. There we go. Uh, also served uh, in Hoffman Estates. Uh, and then, as I noted, in 2009, Oak Park Temple. He's been very active in the community in lots of different ways. He's been on the board of community congregations, which has been around for a long time and is now a part of the board of what's known as the Leaders Network, which is a gathering, particularly on the west side of the city. Um, uh, I'm not as familiar with the Leaders Network, but I know they're really trying, especially Oak Park folks and leaders, and on the west side, really trying to build bridges and do really great things, uh, collaborating together for that. Um, he is here today with his wife, Leslie, and so we are also very pleased to have Leslie here with us uh, in our midst. They have three children. Jacob is a senior at the University of Denver. Aiden is at University of Illinois, freshman, freshman at University of Illinois in Champaign, and then their daughter, Abby, is uh, 15 years old and is at OPRF. Uh, and then also, uh, Leslie is a teacher, uh, second graders at Whittier Elementary in Oak Park. Uh, and so, our uh, conversation today slash uh, sermon slash reflection will be myself and Rabbi Weiss up here. Uh, and so I'll be kind of acting as moderator and we'll chime in from time to time uh, and ask him questions about this issue out of his own perspective. Um, and so one of the slides that we'll get to, and we'll put that up, uh, I'll show you my cell phone number. Uh, and so if you have a question for Rabbi Weiss, I'll be looking, paying attention to my phone. So if you have a question for him, you can text me and we will ask him in real time uh, for that. So uh, before, well, I'll, uh, Rabbi Weiss, would you come on up? Let's welcome Rabbi Weiss. <laughs> 
It is, uh, again, so good to have you here with us today. Um, before we start, uh, we're going to look at uh, a passage that my guess is that not a lot of you, uh, this is probably not a memory verse for folks who, uh, you know, grew up with memory verses, but it's going to be a passage we're going to talk about a little bit later, one that is uh, one of the passages that uh, Rabbi Weiss talked to me about in exploring this issue. So this comes from uh, Exodus. When people who are fighting injure a pregnant woman so that there is a miscarriage and yet no further harm follows, the one responsible shall be fined what the woman's husband demands, paying as much as the judges determine. If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And we will reflect on that in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, um, before we kind of really dig into this issue, when you and I met last week, I was really uh, grateful for one of the things we talked about, and we talked about this last week, is how do we get a sense of what God is doing in our world? Uh, what do we use? What are the tools that we use for that? Last week we talked about, uh, for in the Methodist tradition, we often will use four things, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And you talked about three things that are, have been formative for, uh, for you and for others in your congregation. So I'm wondering if you could just talk first, before we dive into this, talk about what are ways that you begin to interpret uh, issues like this. Sure. Before we jump in, first a word of appreciation. Thank you so much for um, the opportunity to be here today, to share things. I, I want folks to know this is not an area of expertise for me. This is among things that I've learned and talked about. And I'm really glad the kids left. <laughs> because I have no idea how to talk about this in a way that right. couldn't, couldn't make some messy conversations at home. So um, thank you for that. <laughs> um, and I also want to acknowledge sort of a, a content warning that whenever we're talking about issues of choice, of bodily autonomy, it, there can be triggers that, that are, are touched for some people. And I apologize in advance for that, and I, I just want you to let you know that that, that may occur, uh, and thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say how comfortable y'all look. Like, <laughs> I, I should uh, get my folks to be a little bit more casual, including myself, which <laughs> might boost our attendance. So, um, and the other thing that I want to acknowledge is that this is two men having this conversation, mm. which probably is not ideal. And had there been, I, I tried to get somebody, a woman from my congregation to come in and really be part of this, but she was traveling this weekend, so couldn't be here. And so I, I apologize for that. that. That's not an ideal setting, and I know that uh, Reverend Kuhn believes the same thing. Yeah, it, it, shouldn't have just, it shouldn't just be two guys talking about women's right to control their bodily autonomy. So um, in terms of ways that we sort of Jewish people think about what's happening in our lives, um, we always sort of start with a textual basis, like, like you mentioned that you do, and then we have interpretation of the text, and then we bring into that sort of our own lived experience. So it's very similar to the, the four that you discussed, maybe with a combination of two of them into one, but we always like to begin with, with the basic text and move from there, yeah. which is why you brought that text today. Yeah, yeah. Did you, correct me if I'm wrong on this, did you also, you mentioned Israel as one of the things that you sometimes 
And can you say a little bit more about so that? So I think the three heuristics that I spoke about with you, God, Torah, and Israel. Okay. So there's God. What does God expect of us? Interpreted through Torah, which is the text that God gives to us to understand God's word. And then when I say Israel in this context, it's not the country. It's um, B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, the, the Jewish people. Mm. So it's the lived experience okay. that we have in community. So it's... What does God want from us? Interpreted through Torah, interpreted through the way we live our lives. Yeah. Can you? I also don't want to make any assumptions uh, uh, about when we use language like Torah. Can you just uh, say a little bit about what Torah is? I cannot say a little bit. <laughs> uh, I could. I'll, I'll be as brief as I get. Okay. So there's Torah with a capital T as a proper noun, and that means the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Y'all use them too, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then there's Torah with a lowercase t, which is all of lived and written Jewish tradition. Mm. So that's a lot, because we've been around for over 3,000 years, and we've been writing most of that time. Yeah. So um, when I say Torah, most of the time, I'm talking about Torah with a lowercase t. And when I say rabbis, because I'm going to refer to the rabbis a lot, I'm talking about mostly rabbis who lived in the early Middle Ages, and those are all men at this point. I don't care if a baby is making noise if you don't care. It's, <laughs> it's really okay with me. Great. Yeah, thank you. I, what you something you said I also wanted to emphasize and, and to name too, and I've mentioned this in the last couple of sermons, is sometimes when you are... Uh, they may see this church, that, oh, that's a progressive church, uh, and so they all believe the same thing about all the issues, uh, and that's not true. Uh, we hold a lot of nuance, particularly with this issue, so I want to name and hold that, too, uh, that we believe different things on this, and just that hopefully this can be a community of support and love, that we can hold all of those feelings and beliefs and opinions uh, together as well. Um, so let's take a look at the text. So, uh, Anne, could we put the passage back up from Exodus? <laughs> Uh, so let's take a look uh, at this, and um, if you could kind of begin to unpack this for us and how it's been formative for you. Sure. So it's not just that it's formative for me, but much of the basis of Jewish tradition about um, choice regarding abortion comes from this text. When, you, when we talk about um, ending a pregnancy, one of the very first questions that you have to address is when does life begin? When does a, a, um, an embryo become human? This text seems to indicate that there's a difference between a human life and a baby that is in utero, or a, an embryo that's in utero, or a fetus that's in utero, whatever you want to, want to call that. The Torah, whether, and the, this is Torah with a capital T, um, whether we like it or not, has as part of its traditions capital punishment. If I intentionally take another person's life, I am liable for capital punishment. If I accidentally take another person's life, likewise, I either, um, and that my own life is in danger and I can go to a city of refuge. I, I don't know how much a part of your scriptural readings that is, probably not so much. But I could go to a city of refuge where I can be protected. Or 
the families who the family whose um, relative I accidentally killed can actually take vengeance, which is it's a terrible concept, and the rabbi sort of wrote those ideas out later. But in terms of a biblical basis, we're allowed to uh, capital punishment is part of what happens. So, in this case, the text reads that if two men are fighting, and an accidental injury occurs to a woman, and she miscarries. If I hurt the woman, I'm liable for hurting her. If I miscarry, including to the point where if I, if I kill her, I'm liable for her death. But I'm not liable for the death of the fetus in the same way. So from this, the ancient rabbis took the idea that the status of a fetus is not quite the same as a status for a human being. Um, do you all understand that general, general idea? So it's not quite the same level of human as, as everybody else. And so once you start there, then you have to figure out exactly where that fetus becomes a human being. Yeah. Is this, uh, and I apologize for this, this is always tricky to kind of asking you, can you speak for all Jews? <laughs> uh, but give us a, a sense of the spectrum sure. of, of would, would many, most Jews have that same interpretation, or are there other ways that others might see it? So there's some uh, Jewish people who would say that life begins at conception. There's some that would say that life begins at quickening with the first heartbeat. There's some that would say that life begins when the uh, child draws its first breath. And there's some that say that life doesn't really begin until the children move off to college and the dog dies. <laughs> um, so the, okay, that's not, yeah. Um, there is a range though. So there are some rabbis who argue that life really does begin at conception, but this is a minority viewpoint. The way that our ancient texts work is that it's majority rules. So a bunch of rabbis come together, they have a conversation, they record the entire conversation. And then the final voice is the voice of the majority and that's the, the voice that, that takes precedent. So the final voice that takes precedent is when the fetus draws, excuse me, when the baby draws its first breath. That's when they say life really begins or that's when they say human life really begins, I should say. But within there, there are, um, there is sort of a, a variety of conversation that occurs. Like, you know, we talk in um, modern parliaments, parlance about the age of viability, right? When can the fetus live outside of the womb on its own? And right now, that age gets, keeps getting pushed back earlier and earlier. Um, so there is some rabbinic concept of this sort of age of viability as well. Mm. But it's much later than what we would consider a modern age of viability. Mm -hmm. Have you, how has your congregation uh, tackled this issue? And are there differing opinions within your congregation? So my congregation fits within the liberal tradition of Judaism. Judaism can be divided between religious traditionals and religious liberals. So liberals don't necessarily believe that the Torah was received at Mount Sinai by the, 
by Moses and transmitted unbroken through generations. We believe in a human hand in scriptural writing and certainly scriptural interpretation. So my congregation by and large feels the same way with some personal variation depending on how people were raised and what people began to believe through time. And we mostly have just learned to talk to one another in ways that are respectful, even if we disagree. When I first came to my congregation, the issue that was burning people up was around Israel. Mm. We couldn't talk about it. Mm. So we did three years of a program called Israel, Can We Talk About It? Wow. Where we brought people into the room with experts on different sides. And the experts were lovely, but what we really did was we broke into small groups and we had facilitators and we learned how to have conversation over difficult subjects. And I think a lot of that learning has just sort of come down into other things that we do as well. Yeah, that, I, that's really interesting. And uh, did you have a, really, the three years in, in talking about that, was it just a series of uh, intentional small groups or how, what, was, how do, what was the makeup of that? It varied, so we might have the Consul General of Isra the State of Israel wow. come in and speak. And then afterwards, we would talk about it in those small groups. The next program might be from somebody, um, from a group of Israeli soldiers who are conscientious objectors. One of those folks might come in and speak. And then we would have a conversation about that. So it varied. And we brought in a, um, there was a program out of Boston that was, I think, from Harvard. It was about how to lead difficult conversations. We had people trained as facilitators through that group who then led those smaller groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you, I was, one thing that you mentioned when we met a couple weeks ago too was how your congregation is responding to women at a, I think it's in Joliet, at a, at a health center in Joliet. Right. So, right. so there's an organization called the National Council of Jewish Women that has really taken the lead on this issue within the liberal Jewish community. And next weekend is Reproductive Rights Shabbat. Mm. And so Friday night, we have a speaker coming in who, is, um, who runs a clinic. Um, she's spoken on national public radio, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about Jewish views of abortion, her own experiences as, as an abortion provider. Then on Sunday morning, we have a speaker from the National Council of Jewish Women coming in, and we are going to be assembling kits that will go to women who, I think, it's either Juliet or Aurora. Okay. They're going to a clinic there that provides, um, is an abortion providing clinic, and the women will receive um, kits there that will, um, some of it is self-care things, and some of it is practical things that women will need following the procedure, just to make sure that wherever the women come from in life, they're all taken care of equally. That's, uh, go ahead. No, go, it's, please. Well, I was going to say, I think, hopefully, I think our, this congregation, uh, in thinking about wrestling with these issues and then re how do we respond uh, out in the world? Uh, and so this congregation has done numerous things about being out in the world and responding in that way. And this is, has that always been a attribute of, of your congregation too, of like really being active outside uh, of the temple? It far predates me. Yeah. Uh, before I came, the synagogue was, um, had sponsored Vietnamese boat people mm -hmm. who were coming over there, which was 
long before you and I moved into this community. Um, they had always been active in the community of congregations. They were one of the founding congregations for what was known as PADS. Mm -hmm. So very much a lived, practical religion. Yeah. Do you find if folks in your congregation, so we talk sometimes, there's, there are some folks for whom when they think about, this is when I feel closest to God, and it might be a quiet time in prayer, or it might be a Bible study in a group, but then others will definitely, be, they're out in, in the world, they're acting in different ways. Mm -hmm. And for some, it's all of them, but, but there's some ways for them that they, I feel particularly close to God when I do this. Is it true in your congregation too that people are feeling closer in different ways? Absolutely, yeah. and I'd say that's true across Judaism. There are three mm. primary ways to worship. One is prayer, one is study, and the third is action. Mm. And you know, living our values in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wanna take a step back into the question about choice and abortion. While there's some variation within the Jewish world, there's agreement even among the most orthodox that the life of the woman takes precedence over the life of the fetus. Mm. No matter the situation, the woman's life always takes precedence. It's um, because she's alive. Mm. And she, her life should be preserved um, at any cost um, if, if the option is the life of the fetus. And the Talmud talks about that in very graphic, explicit ways that I won't go into here, but if um, the woman is carrying a fetus and giving birth to that child is going to kill her, they're allowed to, ex the midwife is allowed to extract the fetus in order to save her life. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's true across the board. And the rabbis, even in the 16th and 17th century, were debating, like, what does it mean to protect someone's life? Like, clearly we can do it to protect a life. Can we also do it to protect a potential risk to life? If the woman has a disease and mm. carrying a child can inflame her disease, are we allowed to abort in that case? And the answer is yes. And then the question goes even further, what if it's a mental distress? Um, and the answer then also becomes yes. So Judaism in most of its forms is very open to women having sort of the autonomy with their, um, with their physician, with their uh, care provider to choose whether or not they're going to, to carry a baby to term. Yeah. It, it seems like, and I may, I may be making a generalization here, but when, when I have read about Judaism, it seems like going back to wrestling with scripture and having conversations and arguments, that that is very much part of the lived faith. That's part of the process. I think sometimes for Christians, we want to be nice. Uh, and so we don't want to get into those arguments, not always, but sometimes. Uh, but can you say a bit about what having those conversations does make, does it make for a more robust faith, one hopes? Oh, I'm not sure I can answer that question. I don't know. It's. Um, Judaism strongly encourages questioning. Mm. Liberal Judaism, even more so than Orthodox Judaism, but even there you would see tons of, of questioning that go on. I can't, I can't answer whether or not that's a stronger faith, but I would say it is a type of faith that is strong. Yeah, yeah. And that, I appreciate you saying that too, because I think 
some folks have grown up in Christian traditions where questioning was uh, uh, avoided or discouraged. Uh, and so that's another thing that we, I mean, Doug did a good job of kind of naming the kinds of folks who are here today, the folks who have been faithful for decades, folks who are maybe sitting here today like, I can't believe I'm sitting here in a church. I have so many questions and doubts and struggles because of my own faith and what the church has done to me in the past. Uh, and so I, I appreciate you saying that and also want to echo that I believe that asking the questions and wondering uh, is also part of our faith life. Um, I have not received any texts, but does anybody have any uh, questions? You can do it the old-fashioned way and raise your hand or um, speak up. Anyone want to have a question for Rabbi Weiss? That's how I can tell this is not a Jewish group. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably there, it, it always takes like one person to like, Julia. I'm, I'm curious as either of you who obviously Christians throughout history obviously use this term Jesus, right? And so I'm wondering how either of you see Christians speaking to those who are less controversial in the evangelical liberal community um, versus the more overwhelming majority of the Jewish worshipers, and how do you guys speak to that in regards to theology and politics and how those issues interact? Anybody else want to have a question? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I like hanging out with you. I, 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 the, the cynical part of me thinks it gets in, in, into politics, uh, too. Um, I, think, I think there is some heartfelt biblical interpretation from folks from a more conservative viewpoint who really believe that. I think the thing that I struggle with is and this is always tricky, conflating that into law. And I think this is the thing that sometimes troubles me, and I, progressives do it too, I'm using those terms loosely, but thinking that I believe that God believes X, therefore the whole land, and, and you get into like, this is a, a Judeo-Christian country uh, and things like that. So that's the thing that I struggle with. So that's, the cynical part of me thinks it's a political thing uh, as to why, uh, folks are, are nervous about being pro-choice um, uh, on that is a good question. I, even sometimes I like are nervous about when Doug m mentioned earlier about this may not be a great idea. As a staff, we were like we were ner really nervous about that because there are folks in our congregations, and so you, it gets back to we're afraid to have the conversations, and we're afraid I think sometimes to really say this is how I feel. I'm open to being wrong on this, but this is how I feel today. Well, like when you brought up the Exodus passage, that was one I was not familiar with. Like, oh, that was really fascinating uh, and caused me to think and rethink uh, on that too. I don't know if you have any thoughts on I have great empathy for conservative Catholics who really believe in the sanctity of life and they have a consistency of opinion with death penalty, with everything else. And if they truly believe that life begins at conception, that human life begins at conception, I have real empathy for the idea that, well, of course we don't want anybody to, to end human life at any stage of life because life has infinite value and all of it is good and all of it is value and you know, all is loving. Um, I can understand that. It's very hard for me to go 
from that to what I see happening in America today, which is a sort of a different political reality. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I'm torn about it. As to when, I honestly don't know. So I'm not a, Judaism's been fairly consistent through time about this. At some point, some Christian scholar decided to interpret the passage, I knew you from even before you were born, I think, mm -hmm. as a way to say that human, where, where is that from? I don't know. Psalms, okay. the Psalms, yeah. Uh, Jews didn't do that, but um, <laughs> I, I, somebody took that to say life, is, life begins before we're born, and that's not a step we ever took, so yeah. I'm not sure why. I appreciate you talking, bringing up the death penalty, too, because that's always something that I, this, this is, I think, the wrestling for any person of faith in wrestling, like, my faith informs decisions, personal decisions that I make, and it sometimes informs on laws uh, that should be enacted as well. And when it comes to the death penalty, I've been firmly, this is one of the issues that I've been, like, in college, I remember just marching against the death penalty. Uh, partly out of my own faith, we have a person who's prominent in our own faith, a guy named Paul, who oversaw uh, the killing of some people, and he was able to have a transformation. Uh, but then also you look at the political aspects of it and finding things like the death penalty doesn't deter crime, and innocent people are killed and things like that too. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up uh, and bringing like a conservative Catholic in their view on things, yeah. Sorry I couldn't give you a definite answer. Yeah, Chris. Hi. So, can you give us any comments about um, mental health, like basically the health of people in the Do you make any distinction between the authority of a, say, like a physician's ex medical expertise versus the preference of the victims? So, I do not. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean that some people wouldn't. This is, in the 18th century, so early in the 1700s, there's a rabbi named Jacob Emden. And somebody wrote to him, one of the ways that Jewish people make decisions is through a process called she'elot u'chuvot, questions and answers. So you have a dilemma that's facing you, you write to an eminent rabbi, he writes back or she writes back their response, and you, you go on that. Somebody wrote to this rabbi asking if and this was early in early the 1700s, if a woman could end a pregnancy um, that was the result of an adulterous affair, knowing that giving birth to this child would cause huge distress for the family. Um, and the rabbi's answer to that question was, yes, she could. And that had nothing to do with the viability of the fetus. It had nothing to do with some psychologist saying that um, you know, this would be bad. It was just sort of a general understanding that this, this would be bad for this particular family in this particular situation. And so it was allowed. Um, we don't usually think about questions of choice going back that far, but as long as for as much time as women have been getting pregnant, there have been probably women trying to end pregnancies. So um, it's, a, it's very ancient. So I don't make that distinction, and I certainly don't want it mandated in law. 
because I think that um, even if I made that distinction within my own family, and which I, I don't believe I would, I, the women in my life would kill me in my sleep, but um, <laughs> if I, um, even if I wanted to have that control within my own family, that would have nothing to do with the government having that control. Yeah. I think Brian had a question, and we'll, we'll end it here. Are you at, which one of us are you asking that question to? Yeah. I, well, I'll answer. But I mean, also, I mean, how does like lumping? That's such a big lump, right? And, and putting that together. And so, for you, when when people, especially if you ha, if you have a sense of what their real agenda is, and they talk about Judeo-Christian values, what does that? How does that sit with you? Um, most people, when they say Judeo-Christian values in the United States, mean Christian values. Mm. And they include Jewish in there, maybe because it gives them some authority, um, or maybe because they're trying to be inclusive in some way. Um, I suppose you could say ethical monotheistic values, mm -hmm. if you wanted to, um, which is the general belief that there's one God and God cares how we act in the world, mm -hmm. which would include Muslims as well. And um, But I find that it, it's, Judeo-Christian is usually used as a political phrase and I think is, can be a little bit manipulative in that way. Yeah, I think probably a lot manipulative, yeah. Uh, I like ethical, mon what was it, what was that phrase you used? Ethical monotheistic phrase. Yeah, we'll see if that, we'll test so, that out and, and pull it and see how that, see how that goes. It's never gonna catch up. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also, my hunch is that the people who use that phrase I, I'm curious, like how many Jews they've actually had conversations with, and if they know. So, like, for one learning for me is, it seems like on, on this issue on reproductive justice that uh, there seems to be fairly widespread agreement uh, that it's again using the language that's not always helpful, but a pro-choice. Uh, and so, I don't know if people who use Judeo-Christian if they realize that, you know, when they're saying that on all of the issues. Yeah. I don't know. I, what I find is more often than not, people who use the phrase Judeo-Christian values are talk are pro-death penalty, mm -hmm. they're the folks who actually don't believe that we should welcome the stranger, sure. even though that's the most repeated phrase in the Hebrew Bible. Um, so I think that it, it can be used in an inclusive way to say, hey, we're all sort of on the same team, and it can also be used in a very manipulative way. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for it. The, you mentioning welcoming the stranger, I think you mentioned Housing Forward is trying to find ways to welcome asylum-seeking folks who are coming to our area. And I mentioned to you, I'm really proud of our folks uh, led by Kelly and Pat uh, and many others too, and welcoming an asylum-seeking uh, neighbor just next door. 
Uh, and so that's something too that uh, I'm glad that we share. Uh, so speaking of welcoming, we are just so thrilled to, to welcome uh, Rabbi Weiss and Leslie here at Hermistic. Can we say thank you for, for their presence with us today? Thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Thank you.